This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Praise God. Good to be here this evening. I know this morning I had plans of showing our, our uh, short kind of King of Kings overview. Has anyone seen that video here? Okay, good. A few of you, but there's a lot of you that haven't. So to give you a very, very quick um, flyover, Overland Missions last year um, in October hosted an event called the King of Kings Celebration. That event was very unique in that um, it was initially meant to be a gathering of all of the traditional leaders of Zambia. Now, when I say traditional leaders, places like Africa um, have your typical government in most nations, like a democratic process. You have a president, you have, you know, Supreme Court, you have, you know, the various capacities you're very familiar with. But there's also a traditional governmental system. And those are leaders by bloodline. Those are, you know, that's kind of the old school um, chiefs and, and, and kings of old. And the democratic process runs alongside the traditional stream. And what you'll find is that those traditional leaders are the ones that the people of Africa really lean into, really learn from, really uh, listen to. In many ways, it's not, it's not a democratic process. What the chief says is the word. What the king says is the word. What the chieftainess says is the word. And you have 50,000 people, upwards of, of over a million people under each of these leaders, that when that leader stands up and says, this is the way we're going to we're going to marshal our tribe forward um, under this kind of a banner, under this kind of a ideology, they follow suit. Um, and so many years ago, we recognized that, man, if we could win the kings and queens and chiefs and chieftainesses for Christ, one chief suddenly sways 50,000 people to turn their entire framework and fundamental belief system and understanding toward the kingdom of heaven. So um, there was a lot of pressure against us, against, against this uh, approach. A lot of local ministers and missionaries came to me and overtly just tried to persuade me against the, that style of ministry, saying, you're wasting your time. The chiefs will never follow Christ. They could never give themselves to Christ because of how steeped they are in witchcraft and animism, animism just being the worship of ancestors. They, they said, it's just never going to happen. Africa's religion is animism. You're not going to sway the chiefs into Christianity because they are bastions of their culture. They're meant to champion this animistic thing forward. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. That's what they're meant to do. But the gospel and the word of God is all about reaching the most unreached. They sound like the most unreached. If we say we're champions of that cause, what are we doing avoiding these people? No, they just can never change. And through a series of events, which would take many, many hours to explain, um, ultimately the Lord linked our team up with a man named Chief Chipepo. And Chief Chipepo um, was in South Africa doing very well, aerospace engineer, was just, had just been radically born again when he got the phone call to say, you've just been chosen as the next chief for the Chipepo region in Zambia, which meant leave your very good job, leave your very comfortable scenario in South Africa uh, in a first world setting and go move into a mud hut in the middle of nowhere Zambia to govern 
hundreds of thousands of people that you now have to oversee, you know, the issues and the, the, the various, you know, court issues. And, and he just told him right off the bat, not interested, hung up the phone. And uh, he got off the phone, walked away and thought, okay, well, definitely not interested in that. And the Holy Spirit said to him, you didn't even ask me. He had just been born again. He didn't, he didn't understand how this process worked where Jesus is king now. You run everything through him. And so he had a very quick conversation where he knew right away, I'm supposed to do this. So he called him back and he thought, I still know how to get out of this. And he said to him, listen, I will become chief if you set aside all of your practices that you've put in place for me to become chief, meaning all the witchcraft and all of the, all the ancestral practices that my predecessors have done, I'll do none of them. I'll be anointed by a man of God and I'll become chief. And they said, well, you can't do that. You'll die. The spirits will kill you. You, you. you can't sit on the throne without going through the practices that we have honored. And he said, well, I, I can't do that. My faith will not permit me to do that. So they got off the phone with him and he thought, okay, well, at least I offered, but they weren't interested, Lord. And two weeks later, they reached out to say, hey, we're very interested. We still want you to come. So he packed his bags, made his way in the early 2000s, like 2001, 2002, made his way to Zambia, where he became one of the first known chiefs to do it God's way and to be established, you know, and anointed and hands laid on him by a man of God. And he started to administer his, his rule and reign over his people. However, his understanding was the only reason he was becoming a traditional leader was to win the other chiefs for Christ. It was to not only in Zambia, but he had a vision that one day he would be used by God to shake the whole traditional structure of Africa. And um, to fast forward a few years down the road, uh, Chief Chipepo and I met in the middle of the bush of Zambia um, in a place called the Nyawa Chiefdom. And I was asked by Chief Nyawa to preach at his big um, traditional ceremony. Those ceremonies are where you thank your ancestors for the harvest. And Chief Nyawa had recently given his life to Christ. And he said, Jake, come pray to open and share the gospel. And I thought, man, what an amazing opportunity. It's like, you know, uh, it's, it's a legitimate crusade ready-made that you didn't have to do any work for. All these people are gathered and they're ready to worship their ancestors and you're ready to lift up and say, actually, the one who gives you your harvest and gives you your reign has a name and it's Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings and the chief there is ready to, to, to show and I'm under his lordship. You know, it was going to be a powerful time. And then he says to me, but by the way, there's another chief who's also going to come and speak. And I thought, oh no, you know, here we go. It's going to be this whole power struggle of one chief saying, turn to your ancestors and myself as a minister of the gospel. Well, Chief Chipepo shows up. Little do I know, he's this radical, born-again, spirit-filled chief. And he stands up, and the first thing he says is, hallelujah! And everyone kind of stands at attention. You could just tell by the authority on his voice. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So he goes on to preach a fiery gospel message absolutely opposes everything that, that stands in opposition of the kingdom of heaven under the lordship of Jesus. And I mean, it was like, what is happening? So afterwards, he and I sit down and, um, and share our hearts, you know, and, and he basically says, I've been asking the Lord for several years to bring me someone that will go to the palaces and preach the gospel. And he showed me years ago, it would be a white man. And so... Um, Again, to make a very long story short, 
Two years down the road, we find ourselves in the capital city, Lusaka, sitting down together saying, how do we win the kings of Africa to the gospel? And that was in 2000, probably 2011. And um, we started in Zambia and we started traveling from palace to palace. And we just found that the chiefs were so hungry and so excited to hear that Jesus wanted a relationship with them. They thought they had no opportunity. They thought that they were, that they were kind of untouchables for the kingdom. And, um, and we just found every place we visited, the chiefs were, were almost like they were positioned and postured in such a way to say like, we're ready for this. We want to pray that prayer. We want to give our lives. We want to learn what it is to follow Christ. And Chapepo and I, for about five years, just went through all of Zambia, 288 palaces, preaching the gospel and watching the Lord shake the nation through these traditional leaders. Um, in time, Chief Chapepo opened some doors and I shared this morning how I went to Congo and had the whole imprisonment. That was Chief Chapepo telling me go. Um, and so over the years, he began to open some doors and we walked through them and to various levels of success or difficulty. And uh, that landed us in January 2022, where Phil and myself and our, and our board of directors sat together and said, what if we gather all of the Zambian chiefs for a gospel event? And Phil and I looked at each other and it was like, okay, that's, that's probably going to be a $150,000 event. It'll cost us $70,000 just to mobilize those 288 chiefs together into the capital city. You're talking some of them have three-day drives, their fuel expenses, their food expenses, hotel, you know, the venue, what kind of a venue, because when a chief comes, he comes with a driver, he comes with the security, he comes with his wife, this whole entourage follows them, so every chief has an entourage, 288 times four, so the venue's going to have to be 2,000 plus, cedar, you know, we're trying to like, you know, do the math and figure it out and say, let's just do it, let's just do it. So we commit to it, hit the ground in February, March, April, April, Chief Chapepo comes up to me. Cozy's up next to me in Lusaka, and he says, Jacob, you're thinking too small. Here we are thinking we're about to pull off the greatest thing Zambia's ever seen, and we're all excited, and it's going to be epic, and we're going to believe God for the finance, and it's going to come in, and Chapepo, you know, you're thinking too small. I said, okay, chief, well, talk to me. What are you thinking? This event should have all of Africa involved. I said, okay, um, it's taken us 15 years to develop these relationships in Zambia. Do you know all of Africa and the kings? Like, I, he's well connected, but I, I'm just thinking, what, where do we even begin? We're, we're going to hold this event in five months. Um, what, what are you thinking? And he slides across a, a sheet of a ripped off little piece of paper with five names written down and their phone numbers. Number one. King of DR Congo, phone number. Number two, King of Uganda, phone number. Number three, King of Ivory Coast, phone number. So I'm reading over these and I'm like looking at him like, do you want me to just call them? <laughs> yes, yes, Jacob, call them. <laughs> they will come. Like, okay. So I call Phil up. I'm like, so, little curveball. What if we invite a few kings from outside Zambia as well? We're going to have to fly them in now, you know. But Chief Chapepo seems to think these are, these are pivotal players for the continent. It's an easy yes, right? I mean, feeling like, okay, let's do it. So Chief Chapepo says to me, the first king 
out of Congo, he's the key. If you win him, you win the continent. If you can win him to the event, the continent will come. So I'm like, well, okay. I, I mean, all these guys that you're speaking about, they're, I assume they're believers. You know them, you're connected with them. He says, yes, all of them except for the Congo king. <laughs> I go, okay. So he says, you'll have to fly to him. So I tell Phil, I'm supposed to, I'm gonna fly to Kinshasa. I call the king up and right away, you know, kind of gruff and, and, and who is this? Oh, Chief Chipepo gave you my number. Why did he give you my number? No, um, because we're going to hold one of the greatest events Africa's ever seen. And it's for the traditional leaders of the continent. And it's going to be a, a, a historic event that the continent will speak about for, for many years to come. And you have to be involved. You can come and see me at my place. Click. So I get a hold of Phil. I say, hey, I'm going to fly to Kinshasa. I'm going to go find and meet up with this king. And he says he'll spend a day with us so we can cast the vision. Phil's like, I'm coming, let's do it. So we jump on a flight, we head to Congo, we, we land. I think in the time it took, I think it was about a two-week period, murmuring started going throughout Africa of this event that Overland Missions was holding for the, for the traditional leaders of Africa. Suddenly the word went out and there was a buzz about it already. So King Mfumu realizes, okay, these guys aren't just playing around. They have some kind of of an of a establishment in Zambia. And, and so he kind of rolled out the red carpet. We arrive. There's a blacked out SUV that sweeps us out of the airport, takes us around. We never enter the airport. We get handed our passports. You know, it's one of those. We show up at this Kapinski Hotel, $8,500 for, for, the, for the presidential suite, you know, $400 for the baseline rooms. We're like, we, we're never in hotels like this. We don't even know what's going on. He's like, don't worry, you're at the, you're at the top uh, two rooms. I know the manager, the rooms are free. You know, he's just kind of strutting his stuff, showing like, you're with the king now, you know, and enjoy what this is like. So he gets us all settled in and we finally sit with him. And day one, we say, we're going to have a gospel event that transforms the continent for the traditional leaders. And he says, mm -mm. gospel and kings will never go together. So he says, okay, why do you think that? So he goes on to explain his understanding of gospel and the kingdom and ministers and you know, colonizers and people that came in the name of one thing and did it totally. And he's exactly right. And we say, you know, it's, it's devastating that that's your understanding of gospel and that's your understanding of minister because everything you talked about, it's nothing of what we represent. And if you've never encountered gospel that makes you go, yes, then you've actually never encountered gospel. And we just push back and sh share the word and share testimonies of what God's doing in Zambia. And to make a very long story short again, four days we stayed with him. And by day four, he sat down and said, so let's do this event. And he, he told us, listen, if I invite the kings, they'll come. It won't be a question of if. It won't be a question of, uh, you know, that time's already been filled. Uh, they will clear their schedule and they'll come. So how many do you want? And Phil and I were like, 10? 10? He's 10? He's like, why did you come see me if you only wanted 10? <laughs> so he says, let's bring one from every country of Africa. So we went on to call a traditional leader, a king or a queen from every country of Africa. And what ended up transpiring was we had 62 kings and queens representing 36 nations of Africa, plus all of the traditional leaders of Zambia for what historians are saying is one of the greatest gatherings of traditional leaders 
ever in the history of Africa, let alone it being a gospel event. They gathered for three days in the capital city of Lusaka, and we, we brought in some of the top gospel artists of the nation. They wrote songs for the event. It was their pleasure to be involved in it. We gathered together, you know, um, our entire team, all the Zambian chiefs, and the Zambian chiefs all have chaplains that we've trained. So suddenly all of these chiefs show up of Zambia, and they've got a man of God posted at their right hand. All these kings are saying, what is this thing you're doing in Zambia? No, we're using the Old Testament model where kings and, and, and queens of old had a priest, had a prophet. Suddenly you have all these nations saying, well, we want chaplains. We want chaplains for us and for our, for our traditional. Why don't we have chaplains? So, you know, already it started this transaction, incredible gospel event. Gospel was, was, was declared every evening. Every king was given a Bible. We had Muslim kings telling us, if you give me that Bible on national television, they'll kill me when I return home. Give it to me in my room, you know? These guys were the head of the, of the Islamic class. They're the, one of the top five imam of their nations. And, and that receiving a Bible gratefully saying, I've never looked at a Bible, let alone held a Bible, let alone owned a Bible. And so in three days, we made a run at it and shook the continent of Africa through these traditional leaders. Three more days, we brought them down to our mission base in Livingston and had fireside chats with individual traditional leaders to say, how do we shake your nation like Somalia? How do we get in and how do we establish a work and how do we shake things to the very core and have these incredible conversations? And, um, and so what I'd like us to do is let's roll the video. If you don't understand that as a context, you watch the video and you're like, okay, it seems like a lot. I don't really understand what Overland just pulled off. But this is kind of our summary video of the event. You'll get to see some of the traditional leaders. You'll see King Mfumu and his crown and his red regalia. And the seemingly important guy that is with him several times on film is the president of Zambia, who opened the meeting for us, who was integrally involved, integrally involved in everything we did. Um, and uh, it, it just, it, it was ultimately an incredible, incredible six days. So we can run that and then we'll dive in. Overland Missions has always been about going to those that haven't heard the gospel. This event was birthed initially out of the fact that because we're focused on remote locations, we have found ourselves in palaces time and time again. That's King We gathered the kings of Africa together in Lusaka, Zambia this year because we had a vision that there would be a viral move of God that would go through the cities into the villages, into the palaces, into the, the areas, the parts of Africa that are not feeling the love and presence of God in those countries. And here we are now at the end of the event where over 35 countries are represented, over 60 delegates of kings and queens, over 200 uh, Zambian chiefs for what is being coined as the greatest gospel event Africa's ever seen for traditional leaders. And it, it was incredible just to see how excited the kings were to come to an event like this. To, to be honest with you, when I get the invitation first, uh, I had two engagements. So I had to cancel them because I saw the potential 
The vision for the event was always that we would create an event for traditional leaders where we'd bring them together and give them seconds, moments to get in the presence of God because we know that if you can just have the presence of God fall for five seconds, 10 seconds, that it changes everything. We had um, a great three nights of celebration of getting together, being blessed in spirit and in word and in song, in praise. Um, just, uh, just let your hair down and just praise God. You know what I'm saying? Most of the time where they are royalty, kings, whatever, and all this kind of stuff, you don't get to just to be yourself and just to bless God and just be a kid before God. We have so many incredible testimonies from, from this time. Um, one of my favorites were, and I'm gonna leave people unnamed, but one of our kings that came um, after receiving his Bible was able to communicate that it's the first time he's ever held a Bible, let alone been given one. So as the kings were coming in, the Ethiopian king came up to me and he shook my hand and he said, he said, Philip, I have to talk to you. Now he had texted me before he had got there with this amazing text. And he had said that there were 14 tribes in Ethiopia that had never ever heard the name of Jesus and didn't have a translation. And he said, my expectation in coming to this event is that we would create an agreement between us that these tribes would hear the gospel for the first time. So I couldn't wait to meet the Ethiopian king. When he came to me, he said, he said, I am the Ethiopian and you are Philip. And he turned to Acts chapter 8 and he said, there was an Ethiopian who met a man by the name of Philip on the, on the road. He says, the only difference between that and this is I'm already born again. And you're Philip the evangelist. And our question is, what are we going to do in our generation? Going forward, uh, I cannot see myself without overland mission. So our relationship will continue, uh, hopefully, until we depart from, from this earth. A, bi a big reason for this gathering, um, outside of just allowing these kings to touch the presence of God, was this chaplaincy program that we have. And we call it a move of God. It's not just a program, but the idea that, you know, the Old Testament says, Kings of old used to have a priest, they had a prophet at their right hand, and restoring that understanding that kings of our generation would lean on men of God, women of God, that speak the word of God, that challenge them, that give wisdom, that hold up their arms, you know, in their, in their governance. And it's incredible to see the response of the kings here saying, please bring that program into my nation. And so as we gathered them together, we trusted that God would touch the kings and the, the local authorities, and then through them, they would open the doors for the gospel to touch Africa. As a result of this conference, I had actually been talking to um, Philip, and I was telling him um, that we need to start building a relationship. And he told me about the program where they get people to come in for training, and I asked that I get some of my people as well so that we spread the word of God wildly and um, that dream looks very urgent as in tomorrow <laughs> as soon as the program starts uh, it would be lovely
Yeah, so God moved incredibly this week, and our team is so excited to see the doors that are now open in these nations that we've not been able to get into, and that some of them are nations I can't even name. And we are thrilled and excited to see the nations that are shaken and our team with boots on the ground uh, all over Africa. Amen. So with that as the backdrop, I want to teach a little bit tonight. I mentioned this phrase several times this morning on the standard, right? And um, on how we have to exhibit and demonstrate the heavenly standard. There's an earthly standard and there's a heavenly standard. And Jesus, no matter how much you plead and beg, will not lessen his standard for your, for your sake or for your pleading and your beggings. And the reality of the matter is, as much as his standard at times seems like, it's going to kill me, Lord, if you're, if you're requiring me to live at this, at this level of life, at this place, until we live according to his standard, we're missing out on life. We're missing out on joy. We're missing out on the expression of heaven and the, and the, and the benefits thereof because of unbelief. Because that's what stands in the way of the standard. You might say, well, it's because of my sin. No, your sin's there because of unbelief as well. The root is unbelief. The root is not sin. Sin is a ramification of unbelief. But if we come to the scriptures and believe God and believe his word and, and take a hold of this and live it out as our word, we'll find that the expression comes. We'll find that, you know, when the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, for sin will have no dominion over you because you're no longer under the law but under grace, it's, it's just true. You don't have to work up a sweat to try and, you know, receive these things. It's just it's, it's just saying, if this is the word of God, and this is what he says is true about me, then I'm going to live as if it's true. And, and by living that way, grabbing a hold of his word by faith, there's an expression, a supernatural expression that begins to come out of your life that brings all of that reality into order and into its full um, uh, revelation through your life. You experience it. The word of God is not merely meant to be something we theorize about. But it's, it's meant to be something that we daily receive an experience of and walk in his joy and walk in his peace and walk in his manifested presence. That's what's available to us. And so you have a book like Second Peter. And I'm just going to take one small set of verses and, and we're just going to walk through it slowly for a minute just to unpackage for us how unbelievable this standard is. And, and, I, and I'll say this. The, the disciples of Jesus early on were just as confounded by his standard. You know, it was Jesus, you know, right when he was teaching the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, when he was saying to him, listen, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you have no place with me. And they're like, this is impossible. The Pharisees and Sadducees represented the highest level of righteousness. They walked with long robes and long prayers, and no one could attain to their status and their religious presence that they put on and spent years manufacturing. And, and Jesus was saying, unless your righteousness goes above and beyond anything you've ever seen from them, you don't even have a place with me. And they're like, it's impossible. And yet how beautiful and how powerful that in the same breath, he, he knew in and of himself, I'm going to satisfy that standard on your behalf. I'm going to live the life. I'm going to fulfill the requirement. And I'm going to give of my life to you so that that standard becomes your standard. 
I mean, how amazing, how good is our God that his strategy was to lift the standard so far above and beyond what humanity could reach and then give his son as a gift and then fulfill the standard in us and allow us to walk therein and actually express it and live out this supernatural life. So you have in Second Peter, are you with me? Are we together? Okay, I know it's late. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, his divine power, okay, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, I'm not a biblical scholar. I don't have uh, degrees in Greek and Aramaic and and Hebrew. Um, I've spent a little bit of time in, in the study of those things. But I can tell you this. The scholars that spent loads of time on these verses knew a whole lot more than I or you will ever know according to Greek and Aramaic thought. And if they determined that this verse meant his divine power has granted to us all things, guess what it probably means? All things. It doesn't mean most things. It doesn't mean some things. It doesn't mean almost everything except for that one thing that you've been dealing with and struggling with that somehow the grace of God was not able to cover. It means all things. Meaning everything in your life His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have everything you need to exhibit the life God has called you to live and to express the godliness and the standard of that godliness. Amen? This is the word of God. Do we believe it? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and to his own excellence. You want to talk about standards Right here it's saying that the standard that your life has been set at is the standard of the glory and the excellence of God. So if you ever wonder, what standard, the day I was born again, what standard, Lord, did you set in my life? Well, the standard in your life that you get the opportunity, the privilege, and the responsibility to live by is the standard of His glory and the standard of His excellence. If anything is below that standard, He calls us up and says, come, come. You don't have to live there. You don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to submit or surrender to a life that is below the bar that he has made available to us. It's his glory and it's his excellence every single time. That's the privilege we get to walk in as followers of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So what he's saying is the thing that unlocks that standard, is it a, life, uh, a, a sinless life? That's not what he says. Is it, is it perfect obedience in every, you know, uh, 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 a form of, 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 of your movements? No. It says, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. The promise of God is the thing that unlocks the standard. Well, the beautiful thing is the promise of God is also the thing that unlocks obedience. It's the, it's the thing that unlocks um, uh, the expression of righteousness in our lives. You have to know the promise of God. And we know the word. It says, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Meaning every time we come up to a promise in the word, the thing that validates and establishes that in us is, does Christ dwell in your life? Is Christ in you? Is, is, is the hope of glory dwelling in you? Because remember, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of the standard being revealed in your life. His glory His excellence, Christ in us. By which he's granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them, the promises, you may become partakers 
of the divine nature. Now, that just sounds ridiculous, Jake. I mean, you know, don't you understand that we're, we're all just, you know, humans and we're, we're bound and determined to suffer and mess up every day and that's just going to be our lot in life and, right? I mean, that's, that's the sentiment generally is, no, as Christians, we're meant to suffer and fail and, and get up again, but continue failing. That's the lot in life until Jesus comes back. And then glory, hallelujah, he gives us a new body, he forgives us of all of our sins, and then we start living the victorious life in heaven. That's not gospel. Just want to let you know, for those of you who think that you come to church to make sure that he still loves you and he's still forgiven you, and you get to heaven and then finally figure out how to walk in victory, that is never taught in the scriptures. The beautiful thing about the gospel is it is an immediate impact on your life, and it immediately lifts you out of your current standard of living, out of what you are identified with, which is failure, sin, and, and, and that whole package. It lifts you, breaks you out of that, and it sets you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It suddenly identifies you as a saint of the Most High God. That word saint is pulled from the word hagios. That word hagios comes from an Old Testament term meaning the holy of holies. Paul went from calling, he, he designated people. People went from being designated as the, the, whatever they were, sinners, etc. And he began to call the local bodies in the church saints of the most high God. Can you imagine the first time they heard that and they went, wait a minute. You're identifying me as that which held the manifest presence of God in the Old Testament? The very place that only one high priest one time a year could enter into? You're, you're identifying me with that reality now? Do you understand how, how revolutionary that was for those believers going, wait a minute, if that's the case, failure's not an option. If that's the case, do you realize the potential that is residing in us right now? Do you see how immediately it put the precedent on their lives to go, everything's got to change. But the only way, to, only way to grab a hold of it was by faith. They had to believe. That's why I believe so often through the scriptures you have Paul saying again and again, I greet you, saints of the Most High God. He was reprogramming their minds, reprogramming their understanding, saying, remember, Jesus bled and died and rose again, not so that you would remain in your sin, but so that you would live a victorious life equated to the very resurrection power that he exhibited when he came back out of the grave. Time and again, he was washing them with the word saying, stop thinking like you're still stuck in the old identity with the old man. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And here we have him saying, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. The expression of your life, what you experience day to day, is, 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 is what he calls being a partaker of the divine nature. That seems so far beyond anything we should ever be able to believe God for in this life. But it's his word. So what does that mean? What does that mean on a, on a fundamental level? What does that mean from a standard of, of excellence and glory? That means I have the permission to believe God to walk in his peace, in his love, in the expression of his mercy, in the expression of his power, in the expression of his authority, in the expression of his justice every day in my life. I get to wake up every day and posture myself in such a way, not out of arrogance, and it can't be out of arrogance if you know it's a gift. It's out of a place saying, God, I cannot believe it's true, 
but I present myself to you as one who has been grafted into your family and your tribe. I am identified as a saint of the Most High God, meaning your manifest presence dwells in me. I've become your temple. This all lines up with Scripture. And as one that is, in fact, your temple, Lord God, I fully expect and anticipate the expression of your love to come out of my life today. Not even for my own sake, but for the sake of the many. I fully anticipate and expect the full expression of your hope and mercy, the full expression of your power and love upon my, the full expression of your authority. And what begins to happen when you live that way and present yourself based upon faith it, it begins to happen. You walk in it. My frustration so often is that we as believers spend our lives begging God for what he's already given us. We spend our lives pleading and, and begging and, and, and showing you know, tears of sorrow from a place of sincerity, but we've totally missed it. We're saying, God, if you would just make me holy. God, if you would just make me righteous. God, if you would just give me wisdom. God, if you would just, and he's saying, Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. All things that pertain to life and godliness is yours. Are we together? And, and, and guys, I get passionate about this because listen, in my college years, I didn't carry this revelation for so long. And I spent my days crying out to God, desiring to be all that he called me to be and being absolutely entrenched in sin, absolutely steeped in it, absolutely a failure day in and day out. And I read the books and the everyman battles and it taught me to bounce my eyes and do all these things in the flesh and it never gave me victory. In fact, it just flared sin up all the more. I'm like, I'm more sinful now than I ever was and I read the book to get over it. Like, what's happening and then suddenly one day I realized, wait a minute. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. That's past tense. That means I have not put faith in what he's accomplished on my behalf. And I just began to do this. Thank you, Jesus, that although nothing in my life has lined up to your word, I believe your word is more true than my experience. I believe your word is more true than anything my this, you know, this parent or this, this elder or this enemy ever spoke over me that your identity and your spoken word over my life identifies me more than anything else in this life. And guess what began to happen? I began to walk in righteousness. I began to walk over sin. I began to actually live out of life. And then it got to the point where sin would knock at my door and I was offended thinking, don't you know who I am? You know, there gets to be a place where unconsciously you push back and go, there's, you know, I, I say it this way, there, all of the landing strips for sin were removed off of my life. I left them there because, well, I mean, I, I'm just a measly sinner. So yeah, sure, you can land there because that's just who I am. You see what bad theology does? It just, it just, it, it leaves you open for absolute attack day in, day out. Suddenly sin tried to knock at my door and I thought, don't you know who I am? I'm a saint of the most high God. I've, I'm set apart. I'm no longer an instrument for unrighteousness. I present my body every day as a member of God's army, as an instrument for righteousness. I have no part to play with you anymore. Suddenly the whole script was flipped and I was walking in victory, standing on the promise and his promise was being expressed. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I'd spent so many years duped by unbelief. And poor teaching that taught me, listen, all you're ever going to be is a human on this earth. And you're going to fail and you're going to be miserable, but you better be thankful Jesus saved you from your sins. It's a little quiet in here. 
And I get passionate about this because far be it from us to live in bondage when he paid so much for our freedom. Far be it for us to live another day in condemnation and guilt when Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for you to live in victory and not just for yourself. And that's where this whole gospel message has to totally just bring us to the end of ourselves is it's just not about you. It is about you, but it's not about you. We gotta, we gotta wake up and recognize that he's planted us on this earth, not so that we can enjoy all the benefits of being a Christian, but so that we could walk in an absolute violence against of all of hell and break down what the enemy has tried to build up and set the captives free. It's why you exist on this earth today. It's why we're not in heaven yet. Because I promise you, heaven will be better. But you have been given an assignment to bring heaven to earth. Jesus taught a prayer to his disciples, and I heard it quoted this morning from your pastor who said you're in a whole series on, on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's the, that's, the, that's the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, that whole, on earth, we're meant to administrate the heavenly reality on the earth. I'm not, I'm not even beginning to exaggerate. I'm not even, I'm, I, we're still in fundamental We're still in what Paul talked about, drinking milk and not even getting to meat yet. And if we don't have these things as fundamentals and think we're going to go on to high discussions of eschatology and whatever, and we don't even understand our identity, guys, we have got to get these things as a baseline and forge it in and thank God for it. And and that's that's ultimately the most incredible component for, for growing faith in your life. This is what you do. Start praising God for the things that he says you have before you see that you have them. That's what Abraham did, Romans chapter 4. It says, as he gave glory, because remember, his name was Abram. God told him, hey, change your name to Abraham, father of many nations, although you don't have one child yet to Sarah. Can you imagine stopping your friends and saying, hey, I know, I know you've always called me, you've always called me this, but I need you to call me father of many nations. And they're like, your wife can't have children. I'm not calling you that. Well, God called me that, and I need you to call me that because that's the way it is. And then going home at night and actually mustering up praise in your spirit, man, and saying, thank you, God, that you have called me the father of many nations, and that by that, my people will will be as plentiful as the stars among the sky and the sand among the seashore. And, And saying it in such a way that it actually builds genuine gratitude, and you're saying, oh, I'm so thankful, God, that this is your destiny for my life, and this is who I am. And walking away, still childless, but it says, His faith grew as he gave glory to God. My issue in college was I was waiting to give God the glory until I saw the expression of it. But the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And I was allowing sight to be my fundamental foundation rather than his word. And when you start talking about, you know, the, the effectiveness of the work of Overland Missions, et cetera, it's because these things are primary in our lives. There's a stewardship we have, and it's called a stewardship of the mystery. This is the mystery. Christ in us, the hope of our glory, and everything that proceeds out of this. And why on earth would a king of any nation want to sit down and listen to a, 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 basically a nobody on the earth? Because we walk in an authority. We walk in a reality. We walk in a divine expression that has nothing to do with anything we've accumulated by our own work and merit. 
has everything to do with apprehending what God has accomplished and walking in it and clinging to it so tightly and believing God for the full expression, believing God for that divine life. And then people get around you and go, there's something different about you. Well, there is. Let's sit down and talk about it because it's available to you as well. And suddenly, it's not just your words that are challenging people. It's, it's everything you do with your life. It's the way that you live radically in the midst of, you know, I, I love how in so many testimonies, the church and churches all over the U.S. grew during the time of COVID. Finances increased. It was like, how does that happen? People stop attending church and money increases. And, and church, you know, attendance somehow, you know, increases. And, you know, Overland Missions had its greatest year of growth. I think it was 2020. You know, it's like, that doesn't make sense. Most missions organizations closed down, pulled back. We said to our missionaries, guys, it's up to you. We're not going to mandate one way or the other. And we didn't have one missionary choose to come back home. They all stayed on their assignment. They all did the work. There wasn't pressure on them one way or the other. But we were so proud of them because they had apprehended the message, the word, the gospel, the promise. They were living by a realm of faith and a realm of righteousness and a, and a realm that is heavenly, that is available to us. And, if, and we have the ability to grab a hold of that. We have the privilege. And, and I say privilege, we have the responsibility. It's actually not a choice. It's not like for, do you want to be one of those Christians or do you want to be a different type of Christian? This is Christianity. Understanding what's available to us, what he has purchased on our behalf. And then it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, because of sinful desire. So it actually goes on to say that becoming a partaker of the divine nature is the very thing that eradicates sin and unrighteousness from your life. That's why it says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You don't overcome sin by focusing on sin. You overcome sin by focusing on the word of God and his, and his sufficiency in your life based upon his finished work. You overcome sin by focusing on Jesus and saying, so that's really who you think I am. That's, re that's really who I am. Oh, and that's, and that's really what you've called me to do. And that's what you want me to walk in right now. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. And I spent a lot of time in college years going, are you sure? You've picked the right guy? You know, I still thought it was personality driven. I thought I was just some chosen, you know, person out of the crowd. No, it's available. It's available. And what I love is it is not a respecter of persons. It's not a respecter of cultures. It's not a respecter of passports. I can go into the deepest, darkest jungle of the Amazon, which I'll do in 14 days, and preach the same exact gospel. I will not change this message one iota of a degree because I'm speaking to people with a sixth grade education. Speak the same thing. Those that grab it by faith, lives are changed forever become transformational impact to their nation, to their tribes, their communities. This gospel is for everyone who will believe. This reality, this privilege, this responsibility. And yet, what I've found so often is that we are sometimes so steeped in our frustration with sin and failure that it terrifies us to believe God for something that we have been incapable of overcoming ourselves. And I sit with young people, middle-aged people, old people all the time and talk through these things and say, listen, it's by faith. First John, we overcome the world by faith. By faith, by faith. 
And what has to be faced off with oftentimes is not your love for sin. It's do you believe his word? Do you believe he is king? You can sing it. It's easy enough to sing. Sounds great, especially when you hear it from Lauren and people who you know, are just incredibly gifted in song and all this. And it's one thing to sing in an atmosphere of the anointing and all that. But when you walk away, do you continue that confession? Do you continue that posture? Do you continue, thank you, Jesus, as I walk out these doors. You remain king of kings in my life. And as king of kings, I posture myself to hear your word. Your word is my word. When a Zambian chief stands before his tribe of 50,000 and says, no longer will I carry this, sat, you know, a lot of times they carry these wooden sticks with these, um, the, their, their hairs of animals, and that is their symbol of authority. And if you ever see someone in Africa with that, that means they're a chief and you get low. You know, they carry authority, and if you don't show them the right honor, they can make your day really rough. And that chief... We have chiefs that now refuse to carry those symbols of authority, which have been imbued with demonic, you know, witchcraft activities, etc. And they now say, no, the only symbol of authority I need is the Word of God. And they carry their Bible. And guess what happens immediately? 50,000 people go, I need a Bible. I, I, can I? Because 50,000 people before that went, I need a witch doctor. I need charms on my wrists. I need the witch, you know, it, it, in a moment, it can shift. And Sometimes we treat the word of God in the kingdom of heaven like a democratic process. Us Americans do not understand theocracy. King Jesus is not listening for the people's vote. He's not concerned about how this inconveniences you. And he's not interested in a counterproposal. I can say it like it is because I lived it, guys. Okay, Jesus, I hear what you're requesting of me. Check out my counter. I think you're going to be impressed by the amount of things I agreed to. Right? I mean, we do it all the time. And it's not typically that overt. But we're constantly begging God, please let my flesh remain. Please save my flesh. I love this thing. And he means the thing that's out to kill you, the thing that's out to destroy your life, the little leaven that will leaven the whole lump that will take you out, kill it. Oswald Chambers would say, cut it off, my heart is bleeding and my spirit's wrung with pain, yet I hear my Savior pleading, cut it off or all is vain. All, all. It seems to be such a theme in the scriptures where the little leaven that we want to cater to and, 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 and keep for ourselves is the very thing that will take us out. And when Jesus stood before the, the rich young ruler and assessed his life, and heard his confession. And from the time I was young, I've done everything you've asked me to do, Lord. And I've done it to the highest degree. I've fulfilled the standard, is what he was saying. Is there anything else that I need to do? And he assessed very quickly. Oh, there, I see that little thing you're, you're nurturing off to the side there. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And I've always thought, I don't know what was more offensive to him, selling all that he had, or the fact that he had to give it to the people that maybe he despised. He looked down on but whatever it was, Jesus hit that button, and what did that young man do? He walked away sad because he wasn't ready to do it. Now, there's no account of the scriptures that says Jesus, realizing what he had done, chased after the man and said, you know what? You'll make a fine deacon in my church. Come. You're pretty well polished. You're looking better than most. Please come in. He made demands day in, day out because he, he is the king. And we're still busy in our American mindset saying, Jesus, I need you to consider this because you don't understand what you're asking of me to do. He fully understands it. 
And he is, and, and, and <laughs> the amount of times I have clung to things in my own life only to finally release them to the Lord. And then down the road, looking back going, how did I ever think that was going to give me life? How could I have been so deceived and deluded in thought that I was unwilling to release that thing? And, and then to look back and go, look at what God has done since I gave him lordship over whatever that was. And if we want to talk about identity, we want to talk about activating the promise of God in our lives, it comes right back to lordship because you cannot live out and express your identity if he's not lord in fact of your life. It's where it all begins. And yet behind that authoritative voice is the most compassionate, kind, loving, gentle as the Bible says, a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. Doesn't matter how much you've been through, how hard it's been, he's there for you to love you through the process, but he will not lessen his standard. He will not lessen his demand because he knows what you need to live in victory. He knows what you need to actually be, not only experience life and life abundant, but to be expression of life and life abundant. Amen. Amen. And so tonight, um, as, as, I, as I try and come to a close, and maybe what we can do, let's do a worship song. Let me pull you up here. I'd actually like all of you to, to sit right where you are. Um, sometimes I get a little jaded with the whole visiting speaker come in and lay hands on everyone because suddenly it's about what I can do for you. And many times this is about a decision you have to make, that you have to come before the Lord and you have to lay some things down. And I can lay hands on each of you and, and, and God can touch you in a powerful way, but it's not going to take place the decision you have to make. And we laid hands this morning and we'll of course lay hands. If there's someone saying, I need a healing or a touch of God in my life, we will lay hands on you and believe God for whatever it is you're believing God for according to his word. But I just feel like tonight, you know, you're here. You came to a Sunday evening service. You were already at a Sunday morning service, most of you. You obviously have a hungry and a thirsting for the things of God. But a lot of that's going to boil down to, are you ready to believe God? Are you ready to have faith in his standard? Are you ready to say, Lord, I relinquish my control? I relinquish the things I've been clinging to. I relinquish those things that I have kept in dark places, Lord God. I lay it all at your feet. And Jesus, whatever you want to resurrect and bring back, let it, be, let it be according to your word for my life. Let it be your will for my life. But Jesus, anything you want to come in and bust up and, 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 and expose, let it be done, Lord. God has a standard available to your life for you to walk in the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his peace, the full expression of his power and authority. You might say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not much of a power and authority person. I'm more of a gentle, meek, and mild person. It doesn't actually matter. When the Bible talks about meekness, it talks about two people, Moses and Jesus. Moses called himself the meekest man that ever lived. doesn't sound like a very meek thing to say. Meekness is this beautiful, powerful word that actually means power under control or strength with forbearance. 
That word meek, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, that word meek is a word praus. It's a Greek term, and it's actually an old military term. And that military term was the Greek soldiers would go and find wild stallions. And they'd collect the stallions, and they'd put them through a series of training. And those horses that could not be broken of their wild rebellion, they just released back. It was like, oh, we can't do anything with them. Some of those horses would be broken of that rebellion and they could be useful for carrying heavy loads, but they couldn't be trained any further. So they'd stop at that point of training. But there were horses that could be trained and, and, and attained to the status of a war horse. And those war horses would charge 35 miles an hour into battle with, you know, the, the most insane weapons being flung at them and they would stop at a whisper. Total and utter extravagant courage yet under the control of their rider. And when a war horse was finally ready for battle, the term given to it was, it was now praus. It was meeked. So when Jesus comes as one who is meek and mild, and we think meek, meek, Webster's defines it as spineless. It has nothing to do with spiritual definition. Meek is not spineless. Meek is understanding the full authority that you carry in Christ Jesus, but being totally and utterly surrendered to him as king. So that you're ready to go to full-on war for Jesus, and you're ready to be as gentle as he calls you to be. And I feel like tonight is an invitation to meekness. It's an invitation to exhibiting the very characteristic and quality that was spoken of for Jesus because Jesus himself dwells in you. And that means you're going to have to lay down preconceived ideas of who you think you are or who you think you are you are not. Because Jesus knows who you are. And he gets to redefine you according to his image, according to his standard, according to his glory and his excellence. And all we're called to do is open ourselves up and say, Jesus, I believe your word. And if you've called me to meekness, if you've called me to be one of your war horses that will charge into battle for the glory of God and that will halt at your, at your, at your slightest whisper, and I will live under that place. Radical submission to you. Radical belief in who you say I am. Amen. So let's take some time to worship and just get quiet before the Lord and to really hear from God. And I just, I just pray that there's a holy hush that comes over our hearts comes upon our, 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 our minds, that quiets our minds. The Bible says you have a sound mind. So I just speak right now. If there's anyone in this place that is dominated by fear, anxiety, grief, a sense of failure, anyone here dominated by anxiety, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for that salve and that anointing that brings our minds to a standstill, that allows us to hear your voice. It quiets the accusation of the devil. There is no accusation that, that can be laid to your account ever again because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The accuser of the brethren lives to put titles and deceiving accusations on you that are not yours to carry. Let it go. And Jesus, I just thank you right now for peace and a sound mind that we hear the word of the Lord, that you speak tenderly to our hearts even tonight. And that we walk away from this place marked to exhibit your standard and your glory for the rest of our days. Let's just take some time to worship.
If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.